Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. And amen. So one of my sons asked me the other day, Dad, if you could have any superpower, what would you choose? I said, any superpower, huh? He said, any superpower. I said, son, that's easy. I choose America. (laughs) It's the only superpower I need, son. And here's why. Because we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, when those words were penned, for however true and inspiring they are, when those words were penned, people were being pushed from their homelands, other people were being taken from their homelands and sold into slavery, and the person who wrote those words himself not only had slaves, but had children with one of those slaves. His name was Thomas Jefferson. Her name was Sally Hemings. I said last week that it's not homophobic to talk about reality. And it's not anti-American to talk about history. The men who signed the Declaration of Independence, they were either signing the birth certificate of what would become the greatest country in the history of the world, or if they lost the revolution, they were signing the death certificate for themselves and for their entire families. They were putting literally everything on the line to see this nation be born. And I stand here now, and I tell you without reservation, this is the greatest country to have ever existed. Troubled past, that's putting it lightly. Are we perfect now? Not by any measure. But I will tell you this, there is no time else and no place else I would rather that my children be born and raised or your children be born and raised than right here and right now. It's not wrong to both acknowledge the sins of our past and our current imperfections while also saying this is the greatest country there is. The majority of my exposure to the rest of this country, and I dare say this goes for a lot of us here, the majority of my exposure to the rest of this country is only through the selected bad news broadcasted by mainstream media. And even in the midst of that, I can't help but think this is still the place to be. I've been to Europe four times. I've been to Mexico three times. I've been to Africa twice. I've been to the Bahamas, and I've even been to Canada once and it was enough. (laughs) But I can tell you this, every single time I'm out of this country, my love for this country only grows. The more that I leave this country, the more I don't want to leave this country. And yet, when people encounter me, I want them to first see, hear, and feel the love of Christ before my love of country. I never want people to get those two things confused. 
And today we are continuing a sermon series called Biblical Answers to Big World Questions as we're looking at some of the most pressing issues and questions of our day. And today we're going to look at this notion of God and country. As we look at the interplay between our citizenship in America and our citizenship in heaven, I'll be honest with you, when I told people about this sermon series that we were looking at doing, a lot of people thought this sort of sermon series will just be more divisive. And I'm here to tell you, I think we might need more division. And what I mean by that is distinction. We need more distinction in this world. The, the, the church has begun to blend in. We've lost our distinctiveness because we've blended what it means to be an American, an American citizen, with what it means to be a citizen of heaven. People ask me, why this message? And here's what I'd say. Because this country is so polarized, that's why. Because this country is so polarized and because I think it's becoming apparent that Christians are taking sides rather than rising above. And so we're going to try to right these wrongs as we try to align ourselves with the word of God and what he says about being an American citizen and a citizen of heaven. So would you please turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 17 to 21. And if you're using the Bibles that we've provided, and I hope you do, that's on page 1249. Today we're going to take some time and reorient our lives to the truth of God's word. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to 21. Would you hear the word of the Lord? Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let's pray and we'll continue. Father God in heaven above, Lord, we thank you that our eternity is secure in Christ, that our hope and our salvation is found in something that cannot be taken away, defeated, or destroyed. I pray that by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would let us walk out of here today reflecting on your goodness to us and the truth you have for us. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior. It's in Jesus we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. So, so we live at a time and a place that for many who are watching Christians, the lives of Christians show that their faith in Christ and their love of country have become so intertwined, it's virtually the same thing. That for many people, that for many people, it appears that their love for America is now stronger than their zeal for the gospel Christians in church, do I even need to say that's wrong? 
we have an allegiance, and it's to our true leader, King Jesus. For those who follow him, we have a citizenship that is eternal because it's in heaven. And today we're going to look at what it means to be a citizen of heaven because we are ambassadors of Christ. That's who we are. We are ambassadors of Christ. And as we live our lives thankful to be American citizens, but because our citizenship is in heaven, there are important distinctions that our passage reminds us of. As we walk through it, we're going to see these, thing, these uh, three things. Because our citizenship is in heaven, we keep our eyes set on godly leaders, not political leaders. Because our citizenship is in heaven, we keep our minds set on heavenly things, not earthly things. And thirdly, because our citizenship is in heaven, we keep our hopes set on Christ's return, not America's return. As we get going here today, I just want to say something real quick. You may pick up on an undertone of angst in my voice, and it's not because I grew up listening to grunge music, nor is it because I take issue with America. I'm an all-American boy. I love this country. My angst that you may pick up on is because I feel like a lot of Christians have conflated what it means to follow Christ with what it means to be patriotic. So I need you to hear me loudly and clearly I am not a pawn, patsy, puppet, or poster boy for any political party. My allegiance is to King Jesus, and my culture is the kingdom of heaven. That's who I am, and that's where I preach from. And for those of you who are in Christ, I believe the same goes for you. So let's get into this and see what our passage is talking about. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. First point, we keep our eyes set on godly leaders, not political leaders. Paul writes and he says, brothers. Now, this is the generic term that means all siblings who are in Christ. Brothers and sisters, you could say. But brothers, siblings, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I should laugh out loud or be offended here. Did you all hear what the Apostle Paul just said. He said, be like me and try to be like the people who are like me. I don't know about you, but I'm immediately put off by a statement like this. This sounds arrogant to me. Be like you? You think I should follow your example? And not just your example, but you think I should follow other people who are following your example? This sounds arrogant to me. But you know what we have to realize? Do you know why this sounds arrogant? It's because I am a prideful person and I don't want anyone telling me who I should be imitating, least of all the person telling me they are such a great example that I should be following them. And yet, here is the great challenge for those who follow Christ. Shouldn't we be living lives that we want others to model? For those who follow Christ, shouldn't we be living such godly lives that we are setting a better example for the world around us? Christians, if you look at your life and you think, well, I'm, I'm not living a life that others should model, well, then I wonder, are you pursuing Christ like you should be? Or are you letting the world set the standards that you are rising or more than likely, falling to. 
The reason Paul told us to follow him is because of how closely he was following Jesus. Church, I said it before, I think we need more division. And by that, I mean distinction. That, that the world can tell that we are different. But the problem is, is I think that a lot of us, we're trying to be loved by the world more than we're trying to be faithful to Jesus. When the rest of the world looks at the church, they should be thinking, oh, those are the people that follow Jesus. Not, oh, those are the people who follow Trump. Or those are the people who follow Biden. Or those are the people who follow whoever it is that you post about on social media. We are the ones who are to keep our eyes on godly leaders, not political ones. And in this series, as we go through this series, we, we're taking time to stop and ask some big world questions. And so here's a big world question for us. Should Christians be engaged in politics? So here's the, here's the reason behind this question. Think about this. Like if we are to follow godly leaders, not political ones, then should we even be engaging at all in politics? And here's my answer to you. We should be engaged, but not obsessed. We should be engaged and not obsessed. And here's a checklist to see if you have gotten out of balance like I most certainly have in my life. Ask yourself these questions. Do I give more attention to what the government is doing in America than I do to what God is doing in this world? Do you spend more time promoting a politician than you do praying for your nation? Does the decision of the government make you think that God is no longer sovereign? Do you think a political party is more powerful than the spirit-empowered church? Are you as engaged in local elections as you are in listening to the latest sound bites? Does being a single-issue voter lead you to be ignorant of the rest of your party's platform? Does your favorite politician giving speeches give you more hope than your pastor preaching the gospel? Do you spend more time griping about the president than you do giving glory to God? Does the world see that you have a peace in the midst of this craziness? Or do they just see another person filled with anxiety and hopelessness? Do you think that if your party lost the election, that that means God can't do anything good in this world? Would you wear your politician's merchandise out in public, but you wouldn't pray out in public? Should Christians be engaged in politics? Yes. But when we do engage, that engagement needs to be marked by clarity of values, compassion for others, and a commitment to truth. Clarity of values, compassion for others, and commitment to truth. Why? Well, because that's the way of Christ. That's who we follow. We are to show the world that our eyes are set on people who are like Jesus first and foremost. And this is because he is our king and we are firstly citizens of his kingdom, which leads to the second point. We keep our minds set on heavenly things, not earthly things. Philippians goes on to say, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. One of the things that we need to understand is that the earthly, the worldly mind sees other people in terms of our enemy, and that produces anger versus the heavenly or the spiritual mind who sees people as enemies of God, which produces sorrow. Which produces sorrow. And our politically divisive and politically divided world, parties on both sides often see and treat each other as the enemy. And if this is the case for us, then we have lost the heart and the compassion of Christ. So I want to take this, this verse here, phrase by phrase. For many of whom I have often told you. Okay, listen here. Paul is concerned for these people. He's compassionate towards them. He often speaks about them. And I guarantee it's not in a mocking or a degrading way. He often speaks about them, not because he's annoyed, but because he cares. I've often, tell, to, often told you, and now tell you even with tears, do you weep for those who don't know Christ? Or do you just categorize them as your political opposition to be defeated in the next election? Church, I'll be honest with you. I would rather lose the next election if it means winning more people for Christ. And here's why. Because I am, I am an ambassador of Christ to this country. That's my job first. And if you are in Christ, then you are an ambassador to this country too. Paul says they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul views people with a spiritual perspective not here, oh, church, listen to me. Not through a worldly dichotomy of left or right. Not through a lens of woke or base. Not through a lens of Republican or Democrat. Not through a lens of conservative or liberal. That's an earthly, worldly way to see the world. Paul has a heavenly view. He sees the world as God does, full of people who don't know the love of Christ, and that is his motivating factor, to go out there and share the gospel, because there are people who are walking as enemies of Christ, and why is that bad? Here's why. Because their end is destruction. Because they are still bearing and carrying their own sin, and because of this, they are destined for hell. Because their God is their belly meaning they are living according to the physical drive, their physical nature. They are not spiritual. They pursue lust, not love. They are gluttonous, not generous. They are filling themselves with the things of this world, but they are never being satisfied. What they truly serve is their own desires. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, meaning they are proud of what is sinful. They try to glamorize it and get likes on social media, so they post about it. And this is because they have minds set on earthly things. Because with minds set on earthly things, this is where it leads. Destruction, selfishness, and pride. The, the earthly, worldly mind is destruction, selfishness, and pride. And so this leads to a big world question. Follow this. Would you, meaning me, would you ever promote a politician, a political candidate from the pulpit? This is a pulpit, in case you guys don't know. Would I ever use, quote unquote, stage time to, to push a candidate? 
Now, while this might seem like an obvious no, here's, here's the backdrop and the heart behind this question that I've gotten a few times. The idea here is that if things are getting so bad, shouldn't we take time to, to, to promote political candidates? I mean, if the world is so lost and so broken with things so dire, shouldn't we take time and me tell you who to vote for? Let me tell you this. The answer is still no. The answer is no. And here's why. Myself and other pastors like me, we get 30 minutes a week to share God's truth with you. Tucker Carlson gets an hour every single night. The average American, the average American spends two and a half hours every single day on social media. And I have 30 minutes to try to instill something positive and real and good and truthful in your lives. And so, no, I will not be taking time to promote a political candidate. I will be taking time to share the truth of God's word and lift up the true name of the true hope that any of us have. And his name is Jesus Christ. That is who I'm here to promote. I am thankful for my American passport. But my final destination is heaven, which leads to number three. We keep our hopes set on Christ's return, not America's return. Church, when I was a little boy, adults and teachers were called Mr. or Mrs., not they, them. When I was a little boy, if a man abandoned his family to pursue his own passions, it was a travesty, not something to be celebrated. When I was a little boy, country music was country music. <laughs> not pop music sung with a twang. <laughs> when I was a little boy, we all stood for the flag. Not because we condoned racism in our country but because we all wanted to be unified in the good that this country represents for all people. But you know what? In a lot of ways, this country has gotten better. Since 1990, when I was a little boy, since 1990 and now, did you know that the child poverty rate has been cut in half in this country? That's awesome. Abortion rates continue to decline from their all-time high when I was a little boy. People are living longer and more healthy lives than ever before. But even despite this, for many Christians, we look at the culture that's emerging around us and we long for an America we recognize because what's emerging around us, we don't recognize. We hope for an America that feels like the one that we knew before. And sadly, that wish has become our greatest hope. And church, we have to grapple with the reality that even if that America doesn't come back, we have a Savior who will. And he is our great hope. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I think this is true for Christians and non-Christians alike. We just don't always un understand it. I think the return of Christ actually brings about all the things that in a way that's all the things that our heart longs for. 
We long for the world to be as it should be. We all long for a life that we can experience without pain or sickness or death. We all long for the establishment of a government that's completely free of corruption, that's completely good in its cause. And that's the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is on the throne. And this throne that Jesus sits on, he sits on because he has triumphed over every enemy. Because on the cross, Jesus triumphed over Satan, sin, and death. On the cross, Jesus took our place, bearing our sin and shame. The wrath of God that should have been poured out on us for our sins, Jesus took on the cross. And he triumphed. This is why it says in Hebrews chapter 12, we look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is becomes... This is because Christ has accomplished his mission. He's died for our sins. He has rose again, and he is now seated in his throne in heaven, and now we await his return. That is our hope, and that is our secure future. We are citizens of heaven, and therefore, and therefore we keep our hopes set on Christ's return, not America's return. But this leads to a big world question. Is it a sin to be patriotic? Like, is it a sin to be patriotic? If, if our hope is in Christ's return, not America's return, is it a sin to be patriotic? Let me answer this very simply. No, it's not a sin to be patriotic. It's a sin to be idolatrous. And so the question we need to be asking is, when does our patriotism become idolatry? Because that's when it becomes sin. And I want to give you a few markers that may be an indicator that your patriotism is becoming idolatry. So here's a few. Patriotism becomes idolatry when we think offending America is the greatest sin. We'll, we will know that America has become our God when blaspheming America becomes the unforgivable sin. We'll know that patriotism has become an idolatry when we think offending America is the greatest sin, like, like when we can't stand to hear truths about America's faults. Second, patriotism becomes idolatry when our political alignment now overshadows our spiritual identity. Like when we would do things for our country or our political party that we wouldn't do for Christ. If you'd go door-to-door -door campaigning for your political person, but you wouldn't go door-to-door -door for Christ, there may be an issue there. Like when our American fervor is indistinguishable from our spiritual zeal. This also could be evident when non-Christians don't want to talk to us because of our obnoxious political views, thus exposing that our politics have now corrupted our Christian witness. That's dangerous. Third, Patriotism becomes idolatry when, and hear me on this one, when our greatest hopes and our greatest fears center around the future of this country rather than God. Like we'll, we will know that America has become our God and politics have become our religion when those encapsulate our greatest hopes and our greatest fears. For the Christian, 
we fear God above all else, for the fear of God is the, be- is the beginning of wisdom. Our greatest hope is not to be in the utopia that we think our political party will bring about. Our greatest hope is in the return of our Savior who will come and make all things as they should be as he establishes a government of peace with him on the throne. The hope for Christians is in Christ's return. That's our great hope. And if you want to see this country get better, let me tell you right now, it will happen when the citizens of this country, who are citizens of heaven, stop acting like this world is all there is. And we start living like we have an eternal hope that transcends whatever happens here and now. When we start living like God is doing something in this world because he is. When we start living like God is doing something and we are at the forefront of it because we are. But a lot of us are asleep at the wheel. Blinded and distracted by what's going on in politics when the king is ushering in his kingdom and we who are his ambassadors, we get sidetracked. Instead of keeping first things first and our focus on what he is doing. Church, hear me. We have a president in the White House, but his term will end. We have a king on the throne whose reign will never end. We have a president, but that president will change. But we have a king who will never. We need to declare here and now with one voice that while we may serve God and country, we only worship one. And that should be clear for all who look upon those who claim the name of Christ. And so if you do, would you bow your head and pray with me?